Oh, hello there. Welcome back. Hmm. So it's the, um, it's the end of our first full day of, uh, unstoppable friendliness. I'm wondering how unstoppable it was. It went well or I hope that it did. Unstoppable friendliness. I love that. Although it's kind of a big pill. It's kind of hard to, to live up to that. Uh, this is the end of, we're coming to the end of this day and I'm hoping that you're feeling that you're in the right retreat. Or if you're wondering if you are in the right retreat already, it's been not so easy. Well, sitting and being loving all day can really be painful. <laughs> it's not it's not as easy as we would want it to be. So yeah. It was good to hear your questions so far, and questions that you had for Jeff and for Donald and to see where where you are and how things are shaping up. I love the question of, you know, what are we supposed to be feeling? It's a really good thing. And um, there's a lot of them. Having a loving and open and spacious heart can be really challenging. And clearly it is because we would be that way all the time. Right? And so... It would be amazing if we were that way all the time. We would actually put ourselves out of job of teaching meta retreats. <laughs> if the world was filled with meta, you wouldn't need us. And um, I'd miss you, but I'd be really happy to miss you for that reason. To know that it's just prevalent everywhere and we don't need to even talk about it because it's just the way we are. Yeah. And it is actually the way we are, just like Donald mentioned that last night, that this is our true nature. It really actually is. And what we're doing in this meta practice is uncovering the many layers that we have of doubt and fear and worry and, you know, so many layers on top, so many layers. And so the meta retreat, the meta practice is, helps us to get through those layers. It's not easy. Donald mentioned um, Julia Butterfly Hill, who happens to be a good friend of mine as well. And um, she said something, all life is created in love. And thus, in the depths of every human being lies a good heart. Some have lost their path from this love. So it is up to us to show them the way. And that's what we're doing. That's what this retreat is, showing us the way because we already have that good heart. And I know it's hard to believe that everybody has that heart. We act out a lot. <laughs> the um, black feminist author and, and social activist, Bell Hooks, 
She says, love is an act of will, both an intention and an action. Love as the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another spiritual growth. So it's about spiritual growth, love, in the way she describes it. This metta just helps show the way. So it's actually natural that obstacles are coming up for you, if they are. I'm assuming they are for some of you. Some of you, you're on a path and you're just like, you're dead in it and it's all good. But obstacles come up. You know, it's the binaries that we live with in life, the structure of reality that, you know, we wouldn't know pain without there being no pain. And we wouldn't know up without there being a down. We wouldn't know loving kindness and friendliness without there being its opposite as well. And so it's the way life is structured and so it comes up, right? Up against its opposite. I have a dear friend who is a Dharma teacher. And uh, we were on a mentor retreat. I was at Spirit Rock. I was teaching yoga. I used to teach the yoga for this retreat for many, many years. And I was teaching yoga and she was taking, she was a yogi on the retreat. And we're deep, dear friends. And, you know, we kind of, I was watching her in the, in the hall and I could tell she was suffering. And so at one point, you know, we kind of, she took me aside and said, I am, this is horrible. I said, what's going on? I could tell that you're not having, you know, you're having difficulty. And she just said, you know, I'm doing all this metta and all this loving kindness. And I'm having nightmares every night that I'm killing people. And she said, I never have these kind of nightmares. And just her nightmares were just so bad. It was just constant, like, violence. And she said, I, am I, I'm not doing it right. I can't be it. She was on her pathway to be a teacher. She said, I can't be a teacher like this. You know, all the demons kept coming up in her mind and heart and purification. This purification, Don mentioned purification. That's what this practice is. It's like going on a meta fast. You know, not the kind of fast where you eliminate, but when actually the kind of you overload yourself, you know, and that kind of fast. I, I once um, had a similar fast. I had a, I did, this is a crazy thing. Once I did a watermelon fast for a month where I ate nothing but watermelon, <laughs> me and my roommate, we ate, it was the summer, we were in New York and every day I'd go up to the corner store and get a watermelon. And we, that's all we ate, that whole watermelon. At the end of the day, the next morning we were ready for the next watermelon. We did that for a whole month. Boy, a lot came out. It was like, it was purging. It was purification. Not that this is the same, but it is that kind of purification where impurities, you know, those psychological impurities, you come up against stuff, your stuff. So know that you're not doing it wrong. That means it's actually perfectly working. It allows us to explore and to investigate what's blocking us. You know, what is it that's blocking us? We see these blocks that we didn't know we had. And 
But what we need to do is do it without judgment, without making ourselves wrong. Because you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You know, if we could do it without that judgment. You know, metta for me was at first very difficult and boring, actually. I was like, why am I doing this? I was teaching the yoga and I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I'd sit in the hall. I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with the phrases. They really made me kind of crazy. I found it very unsatisfactory. And then because it, what it did for me, it bumped up against my impatience. That's my thing. Impatience. I've had it my whole life. This thing, impatience. But then over time, it just like Jeff said, I think Jeff said it as well, that there's something magical that actually does happen. So I really, really encourage you to, to stick with it. And, you know, someone mentioned, one of, the, one of you mentioned the mechanical phrases. That was the problem for me as well. You know, you mentioned that these mechanical phrases where you don't feel anything. It just feels like, what am I doing here? I was just listening to Jack Cornfield recently. He told the story about Sharon Salzberg. You know, Sharon, by the way, is the mother of Meta. I don't know if you all know that, but we've been talking about Sylvia Bornstein as our mentor. Well, Sharon is Sylvia's mentor. Uh, mentor who brought her into Metta. So I think of Sylvia as, you know, the queen of Metta. So Jack was telling a story that Sylvia had in a book of hers um, called Real Love. And she tells a story about when she was first, you know, learning Metta and she was practicing the phrases and intensive practice and things were going okay. You know, may I be peaceful, may I be happy, may I be filled with love, on and on with all of her Metta phrases. But it just felt mechanical to her and she thought nothing's happening here. Nothing's happening here. She was just, you know, keeping it going because she was on a long retreat. This is just, what, six days, five days of Metta? She was on month of, of Metta every day. And so she was saying, this is not working. Nothing's happening. I'm not feeling anything. The same question. Then at one point during the retreat, she was going downstairs and she had a tray of stuff in this, on a tray. And she fell and she dropped. She dropped everything on a tray. I don't think she fell, but she dropped the tray somehow and glass shattered and stuff went all over the floor. And her first reaction was, Sharon, you're such a klutz. That was her normal reaction. And right after that came the same thing that Donald said, but I love you. <laughs> but I love you. She said, oh, this is working. Because she never would have said that before. Donald, after breakfast, I love you. That's kind of magical way that it shows up where the voice that you typically may have in your head that's putting you down, putting yourself down or someone else down. It just comes out of nowhere. It grabs you when you least expect it. It's really very interesting practice. I love it. I love it. 
it is my practice. It is my daily practice. It is my, I start my, my sitting meditation, my vipassana, my, my mindfulness. Always, I start with metta and I end with metta. And as soon as I do metta, when I start, the, uh, my, I'm sitting and I start and I think about myself and the world, and may I be you know, filled with loving kindness, may I be uh, free from, from suffering, may all beings be free from su- suffering. As soon as I start that, my heart just opens up and I go, may, may all beings really be free from suffering. That is profound statement. And it opens my heart and it allows me to go right into meditation. That's how I begin. And then that's how I come out. So I want to talk about some of the challenges. Um, Donald was talking about the challenges of metta. A big one that I think may be happening right now, that's happening for me, that's got my attention is grief. Grief. Especially right now, the the big picture, our society, our country, you know, all the hundreds of thousands of people who are dying of a virus that they shouldn't have. They shouldn't have. It shouldn't have been that way. And all of the activity that happened last week, a lot of grief. For me, as a black woman in America, there's another level of grief with what I saw Wednesday. And the phrases of metta may not work. It may not be the right medicine for grief sometimes. So instead, I think Donald mentioned it earlier. You can turn towards compassion through compassion practice. Sometimes that's what is necessary because compassion is just the expression of love when it meets pain and sorrow and suffering. And so compassion phrases are what I offer you if grief is one of the things that is holding you tight May you, or may us, may we as a nation, may our pain and sorrow be eased. May our hearts be at peace. May the sorrows of the world be held in compassion. Those are the kind of phrases that are helpful. So you may want to try that. Doubt That's another big one. Big challenge, doubt shows up. You know, it can lead you to the question of what's wrong with me? This is not working. What's wrong with me? It's perfectly normal. Our society, our culture, it doesn't lend itself to the expression of an open heart. We've been taught to close our hearts down or else you're good in trouble. Somebody may stomp on you. Close down. Donald mentioned that he was trained to lead with his thinking, not his heart. How many of us is that true for? 
during this retreat, guess what? You don't have to fix it or change it. Can you try to bring loving kindness to your doubt? Can you wrap it with loving kindness and say, may I live with this as well? May I love this as well? May I love this doubt? It's okay. There's another way of bringing forgiveness to your doubt, which we'll talk about later in the in the week. I'm trying to push it away. May I love this too? Fear. <laughs> you know, there's kind of the same as doubt, but there's this this fear of being too nice. That's the on the other side, the fear of of being too nice, of being weak. What do you mean? Loving kindness, this love all the time. Love, love, love. I may lose my edge. <laughs> it keeps me safe in the world. Well, know this. Love is also strong. It's strong. I have a quote by Elisa Garza, who is one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. She says, for us, Black Lives Matter is really a rehumanization project, rehumanizing. It's a way for us to love each other again, to love ourselves, and to protect and to project that love into the world so that we can transform it. Take that love into the world to transform it. Love also says, no, absolutely not. Right? Sometimes it is absolutely about, no, it is not a weakness. Loving kindness is not weakness. It is strength. You know, we've got this all flipped upside down in our society. What we think is weak, strong, and what we say is strong is weak. You know, oftentimes it's all upside down. when we really look at the people that we honor the most as a whole, like as a world globally, it's usually those people who love indiscriminately and who have the biggest hearts and generous with their love. Nelson Mandela, Dr. King, our friend Alice Walker, Mahatma Gandhi, all these people are people who we admire because of how they love. So it shows that we really do honor and appreciate the power of love because love is radical. Loving kindness is radical. I'm going to read a couple of quotes from Dr. King. Again, this is on the heels always of Dr. King's, the anniversary of his birth. And um, at the end of the week, actually, I'm teaching another retreat on 
uh, MLK retreat for East Bay Meditation Center. So Dr. King had a couple of phrases that I, I'm going to share with you, some quotes that he says, love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend. That's powerful. Turning an enemy into a friend. He says, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great of a burden to bear. Yeah. He says, love is not emotional bash. It is not empty sentimentalism. It is the active outpouring of one's whole being into the being of another. It's powerful. And from our own tradition of the Dhammapada, which is a sacred Buddhist scripture, famous scripture, hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is healed. This is the ancient and eternal law. So it's all about cultivating this kind heart, right? The repetition of phrases, it, it does that. It cultivates this kind heart. What you practice gets stronger. That was my motto when I was taking yoga. <coughs> Excuse me. When I was um, becoming a yoga teacher, a Kapala yoga teacher, our big motto was, what you practice gets stronger. And so I believe that in life, what you practice gets stronger. If you practice hate, guess what? It gets stronger. If you practice love, it gets stronger. If you practice the piano, it gets stronger. So the practice of the phrases, it gets stronger. Donald, I love your phrases. I wrote them down. I think I got them right. May I rest in the awakened heart? Oh, I'm, I'm taking that one. <laughs> that opened up my heart so much. May I rest in the awakened heart? See that? Kind of stuff that just it, it just for me. May I be safe and free from harm. May my body support me. May I be held by love. I'm not afraid to love. I'm not afraid to open up. I know the power. And it feels so good. <laughs> I love that. What's the kind thing to do right now? What's the kind thing to do? What a profound question that is, especially at a time when it's like, maybe the inclination is revenge. <laughs> what if you stopped yourself at that moment and said, okay, what's the kind thing to do right now? Do I want to be right? Or do I want to be free? Julia, am I coming out of love? I love these questions. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of um, the metta practice and the metta, which is based on this incredible text that I hope you learn to love it as much as I do. So it's <coughs> excuse me. Get some water. 
have this chronic cough that never goes away. The Metta Sutta is at least 2,400 years old, right? And during the Buddha lifetime, as I think you know, discourses were memorized. You know, this was pre-written word, and they were memorized and recited, and and they did complete recitations of all kinds of discourses that were recalled. And so, um, for centuries afterwards, the oral tradition was done by monastics. And so, the Metta Sutta is actually recited morning and night in many of the Theravada throughout throughout Southeast Asia, and that's <coughs> that's the Buddhism that we are doing here, Theravada Vipassana. And so they're recited, this Metta Sutta is recited day and night, probably more often than any other discourse uh, in, in the Theravada Buddhist countries. Um, it's a real heart opener, and I've recited it many times too, you know, um, over the years. So I want to tell the story of the, the, the story that has been passed down of how the Metta Sutta was, came about. Okay. So I'm going to talk about these beings called the Devas, and they are these non-human beings that, um, that they share these special characteristics, um, and um, you'll find them coming in and out of Buddhist texts. There's the devas again. And they are, they're said to be happier than humans are, basically, but not so much in this story. They finally get there. So this is how it worked. There were, the, there were 500 monks who were working, who was walking with the Buddha, was with the Buddha at this particular time, 500 monks. And during the rains, they, during the rainy season, they would find a place to stay and do their, what was called the rains retreat, which was a three-month retreat where they would sit, they'd find a place during this time, and they would sit and practice all day long, right? And in this particular instance, they found a place, a village that, you know, welcomed them, had 500 huts for them, places for them to stay, and they were all set to go. And so they were in the forest, and they're doing their... They're Vipassana, they're doing their retreat, sitting. And the devas, who also lived in the forest, they lived in the trees where these monks were. They were like, okay, you know, they're here for the weekend or so. And But they stayed. And they saw that the monks were staying longer than they really wanted them there. And they started to get kind of pushed out of shape. Like, why are these monks here all this time? They should be leaving by now. And so they just felt encro- encroached upon by the monks. So the monks are sitting there doing their meditation, right? And the devas decided, okay, we're going to get rid of them. And so they started all these sounds and noises and and kind of ghoulish kinds of sounds to scare the monks away. They even did stink bombs, like, you know, some, something that was unpleasant. And so, the, of course, it had the reaction that the, that the devas wanted, and the monks got really scared. And so they ran out of the forest, and they went to the Buddha, and they said, listen, we got to move. We can't be in this forest because these, they, they don't, you know, this is, the scary things are going on. And the Buddha just said, ah, you know, you went out there without protection. You went out there without protection. Go back to the forest. And he gave them the Metta Sutta as protection. And the monks went back with the Metta Sutta. 
And they sat and they recited the Metta Sutta over and over and over again. And the devas started listening and they began to calm down. They became friendly. Not only did they become friendly, but they started actually protecting the monks. They became the monks' protection because of the Metta Sutta. And as it turned out, it ends with a, they lived happily ever after, at least for three months, in the forest. And so that's the story of the Metta Sutta, of how it came to be, a protection for the monks. And so, and so it goes like that. And so the practice of loving kindness has this quality of protection about it, protection against ill will, protection against your own ill will right? Your mental capacities to harm. Again, it's purification. It's it's an antidote and a protection from thinking evil thoughts, from living with a confused mind. A real protection from your own inclinations that the devas inside of you. So that's the story. And I love that story of how the Metta Sutta came to be. Now, there are also said to be 11 benefits of Metta, okay? Metta gives you 11 benefits. And again, keep that mindset of, you know, 2,500, 2,600 years ago. Um, and, um, and this is how it goes. I love this as well. The 11 benefits. You will sleep easily. You will wake. This is people who practice metta, okay? If you practice metta, you will sleep easily. You will wake easily. You will have pleasant dreams. People will love you. Devas and animals will love you. Devas will protect you. External dangers like poison, weapons, and fire will not harm you. Your face will be radiant. Your mind will be serene. You will die unconfused and you'll be reborn in the happy realms. It's a pretty good list of things with some good benefits. So that's what they say. That's what they say by practicing metta. So the metta sutta, it is um, some basic teachings of Buddhist teachings that it has as a part of it. Virtue, it's the teaching of virtue, you know, behavior showing high moral standards. It's the teaching of right intention. It's the teaching of practice and continuity of practice, right? And also the teaching of wisdom. And according to um, the Visuddhimagga, which is another text, Buddhist text out of Sri Lanka, It says, metta is a solvent that melts not only one's own psychic pollutants of anger, resentment, and offensiveness, but also those of others. So it's this solvent. Because it takes the approach of friendliness and friendship. And even the hostile ones become friends, just like the devas. Like Martin Luther King said, 
about love and friendship. So as I get into talking about the Metta Sutta itself, I have to give my a homage to Sylvia Bornstein, who again is my mentor. Um, she taught this retreat for many, 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 many years. This was her original retreat uh, as the lead teacher. And um, she has now moved on to not teaching it. And Donald and I have been a part of it for a long time, as we said. But the one thing that I learned from her is that, uh, one of the many things that I learned from Sylvia is that everywhere she teaches, she said this is the one thing she takes with her. No matter what she's going to teach, no matter where she goes, she takes the Metta Sutta with her. And I love that. And it's got me a habit of also having the Metta Sutta with me. So the Sutta is divided into two parts, into these two parts in 10 stanzas. There, I'm breaking it down into stanzas. And the one part is it's a description of the, the moral conduct required by one who wishes to attain this purity and peace. And the second part is the method of practice of metta, right? So I'm going to get it in front of me right now. And I would like it to go up on the screen if we have it. I think we have it, right? And it's got to be made big enough for people to read it. It's a bit of a... Can you all see that at all? Can you make it any bigger? Or is that big? I can't. Maria that's, Christina, can you make it any bigger? That's as big as I can get it. Uh, but it is also going to be placed in your resources um, page so oh, that you can her. download it. I can't hear you. Okay. So um, I'm going to break it down into 10 stanzas. And so it begins with the end. It begins I, what I call the end game because it begins as it says, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. So the end game is that we, the whole thing is about being skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. So that's a big thing to be able to do, being skilled in goodness and knows the path of peace. So we back this whole Metta Sutta backs into, into that, right? This is what should be done. So it begins by letting us know and how we prepare ourselves to develop and cultivate this type of, this type of loving kindness. And it says that a mind filled with loving kindness, with a, a mind filled with peace, able, upright, straightforward, easy to speak, gentle, right? It means having this basic sense of honesty in, in our lives so that we can speak without deception or ulterior motives, being gentle in speech, nonviolent in speech which reminds me of the precepts that we had, that we took at the beginning of our day yesterday. So the second stanza, humble 
and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, not proud, humble, not conceited. So there's this lack of self-centeredness that, um, I don't know, we don't have, our culture is not really encourages humility. But we see the benefits of that. Having a generous heart, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. I mean, you know, this is tall order. These are not easy things to achieve. And they take practice. These, this practice feeds wholesome actions and it starves unwholesome ones. The third section. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing and gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease. I love that. I love that. Right? It's a, this, this, this being accountable. It talks about being accountable. That you would not do the slightest thing that one that a wise person would later reprove. It's sila, going back to the precepts, going back to ethical behavior. It would look like no regrets, you know, wishing well for others. And not the slightest thing is a tall order especially when circumstances are coming at you, you know, and saying not the slightest thing. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. The next stanzas I'll take together, number four and five. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Later, we're going to chant this, and it's hard for me to even say the words without hearing the chant in my mind but we will be chanting it later. So this is the boundless nature of metta, basically is pointing to the boundlessness, all living beings, you know? And it's, I think that one of the most difficult two words in this whole sutta is omitting none omitting none. You know, Sylvia tells this story about how she, she, that she was like, she would say that she tells a story of just one person. Like she, she was trying to, to, to really be right with all beings on the planet, but there was just this one person in her life that she just couldn't, she was challenged with. She was challenged to forgive. There was this one person, and then she thought, 
So should I allow one person to stand between my freedom and suffering? Omitting none. Yeah. I was talking to my sister about, we were talking about um, this. And she said, you know, I really don't feel honest saying that, omitting none, because there are some beings that I think who have caused a lot of harm and they need to suffer. That was what she said. They need to suffer. It's difficult. And that is why we don't start. We don't start with the hardest people. We start somewhere with those that are easier, right? So that our hearts can open slowly because there are people that make it very difficult in our lives, whether they're personal or people. But you know, do you really want anyone to stand in the way between your, you and your own liberation? And as I said, you know, metta doesn't mean that we don't take action against harm and people that cause harm. It doesn't mean that. We stop harm. We stop harm as best as we can. I have committed my life to stopping harm. Right? And sometimes that means that all kinds of things will happen to folks. But if we really want, if we really, really want transformation, we'll actually wish that those people who cause the most harm would be free from suffering because guess what? They're suffering. And they've been hurt. And hurt people hurt others. And it's really advanced, really advanced practice. So we can skip it for now, but you're going to see that, that when you take this metta sutta home, which I hope you do, omitting none, it's not that easy. The next stanza. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. So can we not, through our own anger and irritation, not wish harm, not wish that someone suffers? People will be need to be accountable for their deeds, absolutely. There's this make a distinction there. The seventh phrase. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. That was my favorite one when I first started this, um, started doing the Metta Sutta. I could just feel that mother protecting the life of her child. The main point of this is the protection, actually. The main point is the protection of that stanza. And number eight, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the sky and downwards to the depth, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. 
developing a mind of loving kindness unbounded towards the entire cosmos, above and below, around us, everywhere, not holding back anywhere. Radiating metta. Donald's going to lead us in radiating metta tomorrow. I think that's my favorite line. My favorite line is being freed from hatred and ill will. I love that. The ninth stanza, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, freed from drowsiness, one can recall this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. Again, whether one stands or walks or whatever position you are in, as long as one is awake, you can develop this heart-mind of metta. It is said to be the noblest and the highest state of being. It's abiding, enduring. And the last stanza, by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Now, there's actually evidence that um, this last stanza was added later and um, that it wasn't a part of the original Metta Sutta, but boy, do I love it. Not holding on to fixed views. I think about that all the time. I, when I see myself needing to be right, I take a breath. Say, okay, Kanda, you're holding on to a fixed view. My heart closes when you hold on to fixed view, views. So the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, endowed with insight and integrity, insight into wise view, freed from all sense desires, understanding the nature of unwholesome desire and wholesome desire. You know, that which creates suffering is unwholesome desire. So this is the Metta Sutta. And we're going to um, chant it now. And I love the chant. And you have, if you can see it well enough, which I hope you can, I'd love for you to chant it. And it has a sing-song quality to it. And what I want to explain is that on the words, you will see little arrows that are either below a, a letter or, or above it. And so when it's below, the voice goes down low. And when it's above it, the voice goes high. And, um, and so the way we're going to do it, I've never done this on, on Zoom before, because usually we do it in the whole room and we all, I hear everybody's voices. And so I didn't want to do it by myself. And, and so Donald is going to um, chant it with me. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to do every other line. Okay, so I'm going to start. And then Donald, and we're going to go like that and read the entire and chant the entire Metta Sutta. And if you can, with your mics, of course, off, uh, see if you could join in. And with an open heart. Okay. All right. Are you ready, Donald? I'm ready. <sighs> this is what... This is what should be done. 
by one who is skilled in goodness. Oh, I see. I don't have my mic on. I'm sorry. Let's do that again, Donald. Okay. This is what should be done. By one who is skilled in goodness. And who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright. Straightforward and gentle in speech. Humble and not conceited. Contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. Not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living being there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. Spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness. One should sustain this recollection. This is said to be. The sublime abiding by not holding to fixed views, the pure hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born is not again into, into this world. This world. <laughs> Thank you, Donald. Beautiful. Beautiful. I hope you all get a sense of the power of this piece. You know, I know it's from another time, another centuries, but it still has deep meaning. It still has deep meaning. And I just wanted to share with you at the time now we ask people to see what is your favorite stanza? What is your favorite line? Which one speaks most to you? Is there one that just really stands out? And to, to think about that, to just think about that. What stands out for you, your favorite one? 
and be interesting to, to find out. And um, I could tell you, Sylvia, um, her favorite line is wishing about wishing in gladness and in safety. She said to me, I wrote down, she said to me, I think that the mind needs to feel safe and glad in order to be able to relax enough to have the understanding that there is only loving indiscriminately and therefore not suffering or not fully opening one's heart and therefore suffering. The only mind that can wish everyone well can do impartial goodwill is the mind that is free from negativity and fear. So I love the Metta Sutta. And I would like to see, I don't know if we can get a, um, uh, let's see, how can I do this? If we can get a sense of how many people like, um, like what the favorite, what their favorite stances are. I don't know if we can do it online. Maybe we'll do it later or something. Is there a way that we think we could do this? Maybe I can, I can see how many people like the, oh, I know, I'll boil it into the stances. Okay. And within that, you can raise your hands or, or do uh, icons or emoticons or, and say who, how many of you like, um, the first, second, third, all the way down to the 10th one. So um, the first one is, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. Anybody that's their favorite? And I am not seeing anybody right now. Okay, good. Second one, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Anybody? Any takers? Ah, I see some. Beautiful. Excellent. The third one. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Any hands up? Any takers for that one? Uh-huh. Very good. Very good. The fourth one, whatever live, living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small. Anybody? Yeah? Excellent. The seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Oh, oh. Mm. Mm. Yeah. the heart, the heart, the heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> going, going, gone. Okay, good. <laughs> Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Mmm. That's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I see a couple of people voting two and three times. I love it. That means you, you love the Metta Sutta. Okay, 
radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, Mm -hmm. outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Anybody? Yeah. Mm. Oh, Donald. Mm. Very good. Mm. I love it. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. Hmm. This is the sublime abiding, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Don't underestimate that sentence. (laughs) Okay. And our last one. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Mm. 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 Nice, nice. You got that one. All right. You don't want to be born again into this world. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. May you take this metasutta. And I think we're going to chant it again tonight um, at seven o'clock. So come back and for that sitting for sure. And um, I am just wanted to remind you that we are repeating these phrases of metta. We are reconditioning our mind and hearts. So remember what you practice gets stronger. So may all beings be peaceful and at ease, and come to the end of suffering. Thank you for your kind attention. Peace, everyone. Thank you. Teachers, we meet together now. Sangha, um, the teachers have asked me to send you a reminder. Please sign up for only two small groups, only two. Uh, If you've signed up for three, you'll need to remove your name uh, from that that third session. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.